I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Ben. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. This is an episode we like to call You Ask Us. In today's episode, we'll be answering your polling questions. I'm Anoush Shikelian, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have our deputy political editor, Rachel Wearmouth. And down the line, we have our senior data journalist and polling expert, Ben Walker. Thanks so much for joining us. So, Rachel, I think you've got the first question from our listeners there. Yeah. Anonymous questioner this week asks, with Dominic Raab standing down, what are the panellists' prediction for the next general elections Portillo moment? I love this question because there's been so many stories about senior conservative figures that could lose their seats in the next election. Boris Johnson was another obvious one. He's obviously decided not to put that to his voters in Uxbridge and South Ryslip and resign early. Ben, you've been actually looking at the new constituency boundaries that are going to be in place for the next election. Have any big names popped up to you who might be precarious in their seats? Oh, hello. Thanks for having me as well. Loads, loads. There's lots lots of people. This is the situation where we are. The Conservatives are being caned nationally, so they're going to suffer losses in excess of maybe 150, 200 seats. That's a lot of people going, and a lot of them, one of them would have been Boris Johnson in Uxbridge, Uxbridge and South Ryslip, but he's he's left a little bit prematurely. Good for him. But Portillo moment, there's a lot of them. 2010, it was meant to be, were you still up for balls? That was David Cameron's and Lord Ashcroft's <laughs> strategy. It never really materialised it until five years later. A nice, I think, illustration of Labour's perceived competence on the economy. They were level pegging with the Tories in 2010 on the economy. And in 2015, they were 15 to 20 points behind. So what better way to illustrate it than your own shadow chancellor losing? And that was the 2015 result for Ed Balls. Yeah, I just remember that night being in in our old office and George Eaton, who was our then political editor, just turned to us and went, this is the man who is going to be Chancellor. <laughs> now I think he's about to start a podcast with George Osborne. It's yeah. either How the Mighty Have Fallen or a... Uh, all indeed. the yeah, I think I would, yeah, I'd been live blog, live blogging all night for with the Newcastle Chronicle. <laughs> and I was, and uh, yeah, I was, I'd gone back home at that point because it was quite... It was, like early morning, wasn't it, that, that the Ed Balls count came? Yeah, and, uh, we were deep in it. That's all I remember. Yeah, and uh, I was like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it was quite quite a dramatic evening. That. Yeah, I remember that. But thinking more close to home for next year or as late as January 2025, like I say, the Tories are expected to lose between 150 and 200 seats. On current numbers, it could change. Absolutely. But the people at risk, you do have Ian Duncan-Smith, Theresa Villiers, you, those two in London. You have, of course, Dominic Raab as, of course, the question. Oh, no, he's standing down. No, of course he's standing down. The Lib Dems would probably pick that up as <laughs> yeah. well, wouldn't they? I think one that is definitely... The perhaps, anonymous questioner is judging you for, for that. Yeah, yeah the for ignoring the anonymous questioner. I think the one that is, uh, I suppose, 50-50, but on a bit of a knife edge, and it really would be perhaps, it would put in a spanner in the works of some Tory members is Portsmouth North, Penny Mordant. Uh, will you still look for Penny? Because she's the one who a number of Tory members thinks, ah, she's waiting to succeed Rishi when Rishi pulls on his sword, aren't they? Mm. She's waiting for that. Yeah. But Portsmouth is swinging in a way that is mostly anti-Tory in her seat, in her seat, which is the northern bit of Portsmouth, obviously. Uh, her party did get a bit caned by the Liberals, by Labour, by Independents. Her, the vote is going a bit everywhere. So to be honest, to be on present numbers, she's in trouble. But her, her capacity to hold on against 2017 when Labour surged in Portsmouth is actually quite commendable, really. So I think maybe, she, I don't want to say she has a personal vote, but in, in general elections, personal votes can be as high as a 1,000 to 2,000 votes, which isn't much, but my goodness me, that'll save you with a seat if it's a tight fight. And right now we have Portsmouth North modelled, if you go to Britain Predicts, give it a Google, listeners and readers, go to Britain Predicts and you'll find right now, as of recording, Labour is on 42% there, Conservative 38. And I dare say, and that's national numbers, that's national polling. If you assume Penny has a mm. majority of 2,000 votes, that's 5 or 6% extra for her, so she could hold on. But we are still up for Penny, I think, on present numbers is the one we definitely need to watch. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd broadly agree with Ben that Penny's kind of, thinking it from just a purely political perspective. For example, Penny made sure that she, was, she led the kind of vote to go again, go to vote for the Boris Johnson privileges report. So she yeah. separated herself from some figures in her party. She obviously would like to lead in the future. So she's obviously very ambitious. So there's, there's, a, com there's a clear comparison with Portillo in that mm. way, that it's a very similar moment if she does lose the seat. But also I think she's like the biggest threat to Keir Starmer after the next election. She's she's quite popular with Labour voters, I think. she's she's She would be quite a challenge to him in perhaps in a way some others wouldn't be. So if I were Morgan McSweeney, Labour's campaign director, I would be throwing everything to try to get, make sure yeah. that Penny Mordaunt didn't get to stay in office. The other, the other kind of obvious one to me is Michael Gove, because Michael Gove's not standing down in, in, in the... Well, it's a sorry seat. It's sorry it? Heath at the moment, but I can't recall what the what the constituency is going to be called in the future. But he's been such a big figure in the yeah. last 13 13 years that seeing Michael Gove potentially lose his seat would be quite dramatic, I think. Yeah, and again, parallels with Portillo in the yeah. sense that he is the leader that never was as yeah. well. Yeah, he wrote a book about Michael Portillo, <laughs> yeah. actually, Michael Gove, yeah. Uh, ben, yeah. What's the, what's, how's that seat looking? Yeah, so Surrey Heath is obviously changing, as is the whole of Surrey. Long story short, for those who aren't paying attention to the boundary changes, please do pay attention to them, because it means 10 more seats in England, a lot less in Wales and Scotland, and it's basically just a more equitable distribution because Wales and Scotland were overrepresented because they didn't have devolved parliaments. They have for the past 20 years, so the correction needs to be happening. So it just means more seats in England, and most of them are coming in the southeast because the southeast is a lot more built up than it used to be. And what it means is smaller, sorry, seats, a lot more urban, <laughs> sorry, seats, a lot more winnable for a party other than the Conservatives in Surrey. The Lib Dems 
right now, actually, we have them on course to at least pick up two seats in, sorry, mm. Isha and Walton and Guildford, but that's the current old boundaries. We expect them to do a lot mm. better elsewhere. And sorry, Heath, old boundaries don't have the numbers for the new ones just yet. You do see the Lib Dem surging by quite a sizable margin. It doesn't take much. At the moment, you have Michael Gove's majority, notional majority, down from what? 50, 60%, I think it was 60 something percent there. Now it's down to 39%, which is a big drop. And you have the two combined share for the Lib Dems and Labour, 24, 47% for the Lib Dems and Labour there. That's when Lib Dems run campaigns, they run very militaristic, Prussian almost, military campaigns, <laughs> squeezing the vote, tactical voting, getting the right people out. And I, look, it, yeah, if you want to talk to people at risk, Michael Gove is definitely one of them. It's just, on my yeah. number, Britain predicts us to account for tactical voting. Don't see it yet, but definitely a once more one to watch. Another one as well, might have completely forgot him, Ben Wallace. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. Very yeah, ask about him. Defence Secretary, but his seat is being carved up because Lancaster used to be Lancaster and a lot of a strip along the way to Blackpool. Now it's become its own more Lancaster and Weir seat. And long story short, Ben Wallace's seat is no longer in existence. He needs to go find somewhere else. Lancaster might be the safe bat, but it's currently a Labour seat. No, he needs to go somewhere else, really. He needs to find something else. Mm -hmm. We don't know if he will. Interesting. What do you reckon? One I think some of our listeners might relish, and actually in terms of the boundary changes, he is running in a slightly different seat. So Ben, you'll know more about the makeup, is Jacob Rees-Mogg. Now, I don't want to elevate him to Portillo status, but (laughs) he has been a sort of totemic figure in the Conservative Party in recent years, given his Brexiteer and Boris Johnson champion status. I was down in his constituency actually recently, and it looks like the constituency North East Somerset, as it is now, would be taken by Labour in a next general election. And this is this is Somerset, this is a Tory county. Most mm. of the MPs in that in that seat, aside from in Bath and Bristol, are Conservatives. Somerton and Froome, of course, we're going to have a by-election there, so we'll see what happens there. But I think that would be something that some of our listeners might relish seeing if Rhys Mogg loses his seat, but I'm not sure because he's now running for a seat with a slightly different makeup. Ben, maybe, I know we don't have the sort of full number yet, but maybe you could give us your thoughts on that. We've all been to Bristol once or twice. Bristol is is growing quite substantially. It used to be Bristol and then the towns of Kingswood and Filton and Bradley Stoke. Pretty much now, they've. I don't want to say they've merged. I don't want to say they've become, become one, but they are increasingly growing and it's spreading. And what is it spreading to where Rees-Mogg's seat is or was and does include a slight part of? So the progressive urbanisation of around Bristol is helping Labour. So once upon a time, places like Kingswood, Filton and Bradley Stoke, the seats David Cameron's Tories took off Labour in 2010, they're becoming a lot more Labour, a lot more notionally Labour. And a bit of that also has gone into Rees-Mogg's old seat, but also his new one as well, which just cuts it down the middle because there's more people living there. On current numbers, though, it does say Labour's winning it. But this is the thing, mm-hmm. in council elections, Labour doesn't really have much of a presence here in the surrounds of Bath. So this is where I think my modelling, there's a severe limit to it, which is we don't factor for tactical voting. We don't factor for the fact that right now, Labour's up 13 points nationally. Mm. So you should expect them to be up 13 points everywhere else. It doesn't work like that. In in places where the Lib Dems have council strength, like in Harrogate and Knaresborough, for instance, where I'm from, Lib Dems have always been the second place party to the Tories or sometimes the first. But the national numbers imply Labour coming second there, which is not going to happen. We know that. And I get the impression we would see the same in North East Somerset. 
because when local votes are counted, the local votes don't go for Labour, the opposition to the Tories. They go for the Lib Dems. And the Lib Dems swept here last year. And I think, was it this year as well? Yeah, they have a strength that doesn't get measures in the national numbers. But yes, Rees Mogg, definitely in trouble. We used to look for the Mogster. Yeah, add it to the list, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so after the break, Rachel, you're going to introduce the second question from our listeners. Give us a clue on what it's about. It's about Labour's chances in rural England. Okay, so very topical to what we've just been talking about. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you enjoy The New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, Rachel, what's our next question and who's it from? It's from John, and John asks, lots of rural poorer constituencies, he's thinking West Country and East Anglia, used to be Tory liberal battles, but now models suggest Labour could come second, or in some cases is even winning. On the one hand, the Tiverton and Honiton by-election suggests Lib Dems are the real challengers, even when polling third. On the other hand, these areas are full of people who could easily be Labour voters in another region. What is your best guess? A liberal resurgence, Labour switch, or the anti-Tory vote divided and Conservatives keeping these seats? Hmm. It's an interesting question because it's something that Mm. I've often thought about with some of the by-elections we've had lately. He mentioned Tiverton and Honiton. Labour was second place. uh, And actually the the Lib Dems leapfrogged them to win that by-election off uh, the Conservatives. Same in North Shropshire. Also, the Lib Dems, I think, are the favourites to win mid-Bedfordshire if we see a by-election there, if if, if, um, (laughs) Doris vacates her seat. Labour's second place there as well. So what, you know, is is this an example of that tactical voting, Ben, that you're talking about? And why is it tactical to vote Lib Dem when Labour's second place? Surely the Lib Dem voters should fall in behind Labour in that case. I get a lot of Labour friends and activists ask me this. Why on earth are you you saying Lib Dem should win mid-Bedfordshire? Why on earth? Because Labour came second in mid-Bedfordshire at the last election, but it was a very distant second. So we talked about Tiverton, Shropshire, both of them had Labour second. Anywhere else? Oh, there's been a litany of countryside constituencies where the Mm. Labour Party have come second in a general election. In a campaign, they didn't do anything in, by the way, because Labour campaigns in rural seats don't often, aren't as active as perhaps some may imply on social media, and you happen to come (laughs) second with the Lib Dems narrowly behind. That doesn't make you the primary challenger to win the seat. That just makes you, by chance, 
by default having more votes without a single campaign. This is the thing with countryside seats and voters generally. But your position, who you are, first, second, third, isn't really important when you need to consider what's your potential. So here's an example. You have a rural seat. Labour got 20%. Lib Dems got 15 But who has more potential? Who has greater favourability amongst potential voters to your cause? Now, Labour, generally speaking, like the Conservatives, they're the established parties. They're the two parties of potential government. When you're looking for protest voters, you're not going to get as many of them to those parties as you would for the Lib Dems. And there's a lot of voters from the Labour and Tories who are willing to go for protest parties, but those protest parties aren't each other, right? Mm. The Tories are losing, I don't know, one in 10 of their vote to Labour right now, but they aren't protest voters. They're actually pretty solid voters who will stay with Labour until after the next election, most likely. But the Tories are also losing a different kind of voter who are, yeah, a bit more rural, normally like the Tories, would never go near Labour, but absolutely are apathetic at this moment in time. And the ceiling, Mm, what that means is the ceiling in seats like Mid-Bedfordshire is a lot higher for the Lib Dems than it is for Labour. The potential number of supporters you could win over is higher for the Lib Dems in countryside constituencies, in seats where there are voters looking to protest rather than look for an alternative, a party styling itself as government. Look, when you see a Lib Dem campaign, you're not seeing a campaign for government. You're seeing a campaign to campaign against house building that they've just suddenly discovered is being built in mid-Bedfordshire. When you're looking at Labour, you're looking at a party that's more, we're also the establishment you want to rally against, but we're a different kind of establishment. Does that make sense? The Lib Dems have a lot more potential with switches than Labour do. And like I say, the ceiling is higher for them. And that's why they win it. That's why they do well. Favourability towards the Lib Dem brand in these types of seats, among these type of people, isn't terrible, but it's okay. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Favourability belongs to the Labour brand non-existent it doesn't exist labor had there's a lot of potential for labor in certain rural constituents particularly some very deprived ones they're doing they're seeing a slight recovery in cornwall for example which is not what we saw the last time we saw that was 1997 scarborough and whitby pretty rural you've got really built up scarborough but yeah you've got that as well beverly and holderness in east yorkshire there's a potential for labor there although it's a bit of a reach but there is potential for labor but it's a certain kind of countryside seat it's a certain yeah. kind where, where you've got to you've got to go out and campaign. You can't expect it to come to you. I think you have to remember, actually, and I think we often forget this when we think about rural England. We associate it with sort of Tory affluence, but also sort of agricultural industry. But actually, a lot of these places are ex-industrial. Some of the places that I was going around in northeast Somerset are ex-mining towns, and there's you know there's a real labour heritage there. Yeah, I was also going to say that the, you know there there are also like groups of rural voters that are just always going to have a dislike for class politics, right? And who would probably find would be more comfortable voting Lib Dem. I think what Ben was saying earlier in the episode about. Lib Dems just having a very good ground campaign in certain areas. They've always been the opposition to the Conservatives, so it's easier for them to, you know, capitalise on that, on the infrastructure they've already got there. But I also wonder if there's an element of the the Lib Dems benefiting longer term in some in some rural seats from having a very strong Remain position in the past, mm-hmm. because a lot of the trade deals that have been kind of passed in, in recent years are actually hitting them hard, and there's quite strong opposition to them in some rural areas. I think they probably feel a bit more comfortable going to the Lib Dems for that reason, maybe. Ben would know more about the numbers in that respect. but That's um, interesting, because there, yeah. is, there is a growing narrative of betrayal among both farmers and fishing yeah. communities as well, which may explain some of the shifting politics in the places in Cornwall that you've been looking at, Ben. Yeah, I don't, this is something we have noticed. When you think of Lib Dem strength, you think 
most of us do. We think back to 1997 and you look at that map of the UK and you see a lot of yellow. Or is it orange? Or is it gold? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> we we want to actually do often... an article about what colour Lib Dems actually are. <laughs> um, this was a long time ago when there was far less editorial control of the New <laughs> But that is very wow, wow. New Statesman, isn't it? Anyway. <laughs> what was the conclusion of the article? By I, I'll have to dig it out, actually. I'll dig it out. <laughs> okay. What was it? I take the view it's gold because they do the gold diamond and the emojis, don't they? But, but anyway, yeah, when you think <laughs> back the to pre-emoji <laughs> England, right, yeah. you think back to 1997, you remember seeing where the Lib Dem strength was. It was Cornwall, it was Devon, it was Somerset, it was a bit of Dorset. A bit of Wiltshire. I'm looking at the map now. And there was where they won. However, to be honest with you, you say about fishing communities and, and such like turning against Brexit. I don't think there's enough of them in these types of seats mm. to mm. win it for the Lib Dems. So one example is this. Cornwall local elections. I, I keep referring back to local elections. It's a pet, pet passion of mine. The Cornish local elections of a few years ago, 2021, when the Lib Dems were recovering, they were showing Remainer strength, if you want to call it that, because they won the Cheshire and Amersham by-election only a few weeks, months later. In Cornwall, they didn't do particularly well. They didn't recover at all. And the reason being is that they feel Brexit actually caused them to lose votes. And they did. They used to have a lot of very, I don't want to say populist, but very anti-establishment strength in places mm -hmm. like Cornwall and Devon that they have been limited by years ago. UKIP, there were a lot of people in Cornwall and Devon who went Lib Dem local UKIP in European elections. It was very weird. And I always remember some people getting shocked. And this, how were the Lib Dems? We're progressive. We're, we're liberal. How can we get voters? They're all very shocked at that, aren't they, when they get told who their voters are? But that was how it was. And I think as a con, actually, in Devon and Cornwall, Brexit has stymied the Lib Dem recovery. But it hasn't stymied them where there are more Remainers, in Surrey, in Berkshire, in Hertfordshire, yeah. where they are definitely seeing a lot of potential. So when we look at the future mm. map of Lib Dem seats, it's not going to be like 1997. It's not going to be the Southwest. It's actually going to be the Southeast and a bit of the East. So you're going to see them picking up around the surrounds of Cambridge. This is a place where you go to Cambridge, right. you study in Cambridge, you make a life in Cambridge, you get a job there, but you can't afford there. So you live on the outskirts of Cambridge in what is South Cambridge or South East Cambridge. Pretty affluent, pretty commuter heavy. They're not for keen on the Conservatives. Heidi Allen noticed it in her own seat when she was the MP there and tried to capitalise on that and then stood down. This is, a, this is the type of seat that would be going more Lib Dem than, say, Fishing Village England. We're talk, we are talking commuterville, middle class voters who have the time to think about Brexit, have the time to rally against it who are doing that. It's farmers, though, are a bit more, they feel more apathetic with voting than swinging against the Conservatives. You are seeing amongst the farming community at every poll, not all of them are great surveys, but they're fine. You do see the Tory vote falling, collapsing by a sizable amount, but it's not really going to the other parties. It's more like going to apathy like on a grander scale than what we're seeing nationally. When I was in Mid-Suffolk, the leader of Mid-Suffolk Council yeah. was a farmer and he's a Green. The Greens have just won that council, but their first majority. And so perhaps it's less about Brexit, Lib Dems being the Remain party, less about switching from Tory to Labour, but more about just finding another protest vote another in, in the Greens. Yeah. yeah. Also, of course, the idea that the Green brand is associated with conserving one's environment. Yeah. Just going back to the question slightly, I think it was asking us to get into where there's a lot of competition between Labour and Lib Dems. Does that ultimately mean that the Tory vote comes through? I think in a lot of cases it tends to eat into the Tory vote as opposed to um, letting them come up through yeah. the middle. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. Well, I think that was really interesting. Thanks, Ben. And thank you so much for your map of the new constituencies, which everyone can go and see <laughs> on State of the Nation if you haven't gone to look Enjoy. at it already. Ben's and smiling at that <laughs> second plug. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who submitted questions as well. We do read them all, so please keep them coming in. If you'd like to send us a question, you can go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can just leave a comment under the video. And before we go, we wanted to say that it's very sadly our producer, Adrian Bradley's last podcast with us today. He's going on to produce Aisha Hazarika's great show on Times Radio. So if you want more of Adrian's magic touch, then you can go and listen to that on the weekends if you don't already listen to it. Adrian joined us in June 2021 when we were still recording from our bedrooms amid the sort of dying days of the COVID restrictions. (laughs) So we were battling against drilling and always perfectly timed ice cream van jingles and also the terrible broadband of some of our presenters. Since then, he's both whipped us into shape and been graciously flexible and patient as we've navigated some big news moments from Partygate to the invasion of Ukraine. He's also put some brilliant guest lineups together on Westminster Reimagined, working up to his last day on our fourth series of the show, which meant that he was going out on a high with a ding-dong between Simon Woolley and Graham Smith at our live recording earlier this week on the threat to British democracy. What better note to end on? And of course, we've loved his stories and coverage of Eurovision as well, and his updates on his cat and co-producer, Tina, (laughs) and his passionate commitment to microwave justice at the New Statesman (laughs) offices. For those who don't know, it was originally positioned right outside the studio for a bit pinging during our recordings. We know he'll be amazing in his next role and we wish him the best of luck and we just wondered if you wanted to come in and say anything (laughs) come on over adrian (laughs) i have to fade myself up for this one we started with with you at home and then in a little cupboard in essex street in fleet street that's right with microphones on books and we've had little evolutions of the studio each time. I don't think if Stephen Bush were in here, he wouldn't recognise this now, which is, uh, <laughs> which is great. I will miss you all. And I'm the one to blame for the new music. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> That's why we're getting rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. I said, if the music doesn't go down well, I'll resign. But it's been, yeah, I've enjoyed it and I will miss, miss you all. Oh, we'll really miss you. Thanks for all your work on the podcast and for making it what it is. If you like the New Statesman podcast, you can also vote for us in the Listener's Choice category in the British Podcast Awards. You can vote now at britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting anytime until the 5th of September and type in the New Statesman podcast and then it will come up. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Wearmouth, Ben Walker and Adrian Bradley. We'll be back on Monday with a special interview with Professor Vladislav Zubok about the Wagner mutiny. And we'll also have a bonus episode out on Saturday, an interview with Wes Streeting. Follow us on your podcast app to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. You can also watch video from this podcast on our YouTube channel. Just search YouTube for The New Statesman. We're produced by Adrian Bradley. There we go. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.